Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 in the New King James Version, it says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, so we're talking to the church, we're talking to God's people, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable Service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And he goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is an interesting passage. It's pretty familiar for most of us that have been in church or around church for any length of time. Uh, it, It is an incredible verse that helps us understand that we should not look like, behave like, act like, uh, reflect uh, what is around us, but we should be a reflection of what rather is within us. Uh, And and so it, it, it brings this contrast of what is inside of me should overpower what's around me. We talk about culture a lot here in our church, and uh, uh, we believe that one of the greatest ways we just sang about heaven invading earth, we just sang about uh, uh, bringing God's will and God's intention, God's purpose from heaven to the earth. This was Jesus's prayer, and it's how he taught his disciples to pray. Uh, But it's always an interesting contrast in really what this Christian life seems to be summed up in a lot of times for the life of a believer, especially when you first come into the kingdom is this contrast between this new life that's within me versus the carnal world or the fleshly world that's around me. And they're at war with one another. They directly oppose and contradict each other. And so what Paul is presenting here to the church is that there needs to be a daily intentional sacrificing that needs to take place. Now, when he uses the word sacrifice, He's talking uh, about a concept that we may not necessarily fully understand because at this point in time, uh, you know, sacrificing of animals and uh, birds and goats and, uh, you know, these sorts of things, uh, sacrifices were a very real thing to them. Like they were literally taking uh, the life away from an animal, presenting it to God as a sacrifice. This was Old Testament living and Old Testament rituals, Old Testament concept that thank God Jesus has come and he's been the the everlasting sacrifice, amen? That uh, church today isn't as smelly and nasty and bloody uh, as it used to be. We don't have an altar down here, uh, you know, with blood pouring down the center aisle here uh, and the smell of burning, rotting flesh. Uh, uh, you know, as you come in, uh, we pay good money for a good, nice aroma in this building that's welcoming and engaging you. And you don't even know, but we're engaging all five of your senses and, and uh, trying to create an environment that you want to be in and want to come back to. Uh, but church back then wasn't that, uh, you know, incredible. You, you went to church back then because you wanted to, not because you had to. Anybody with me? They weren't doing it. 
you know, necessarily, uh, uh, you know, be, because, you know, this is just what we do. There was reason and there was purpose behind it. And so these sacrifices that uh, were being offered uh, was a very real uh, concept to them. Not, maybe not so much today, but this word still applies to us today. The sacrifice typically, you know, when you think of something that is sacrificial, it means something that you would rather keep or rather have. Uh, when you sacrifice, we typically think or have the idea or the uh, concept that we're giving up something, right? Uh, that, that what I am uh, uh, giving up is valuable to me and it presents value for what I'm giving it up for. Are you with me? That when I sacrifice my uh, time to myself to rather spend time with Camden, uh, I might want to, I might really be valuing just some alone time, some disconnect time, some time to just be by myself, but rather I would go and get in the car and load up baseball gear and, and, and drive, you know, 15 miles across town to a park so we can toss baseballs and, and hit baseballs for the next hour or two hours or whatever. I'm giving up something that I would rather be sitting on the couch watching a movie, but I'm sacrificing something valuable for something that I think is even more valuable, okay? The sacrifice really doesn't mean anything if what you're giving up doesn't have any value to you, <laughs> right? The sacrifice is relevant, uh, 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 you know, to you. It's, it's, it's valued by what you're giving up. It's valued, and so, you know, we've talked about this before. Value is always uh, represented in exchange. You can't say you value something if you don't make an exchange for it. You can't say, uh, you know, I value this, but you're not ever laying anything down for it. There's gotta be something laid down. There's gotta be a cost involved. There, there's gotta be something that you're weighing between what I'm letting go and what I'm getting in return. And so he's using this term sacrifice and he, and he, he says this, he said, uh, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that was a new concept because up until that point, they didn't know living sacrifice. They only knew dying sacrifice. They only knew that the life is taken away. But now a living sacrifice, this, this shows us something else. This shows us some consistency some habitual discipline now, something that's perpetual in my life. And now it's this idea of a living sacrifice. That means on the daily, every day, uh, some way, somehow, I am sacrificing something, laying down something, giving up something for something more valuable. A living sacrifice. And so now this is a new concept because we are all familiar with rituals and routines. We are all, some way, somehow in your life, you do something habitually where you don't have to give much thought process to it. And habits and disciplines create expectations, right? The, the habit of celebrating Christmas on December 25th of every year creates an expectation of a day off, 
or presents or putting up a Christmas tree or stringing lights on the house or seeing all the crazy family members that one time a year again or whatever that, that holiday or that ritual brings to you. But there's an expectation that comes along with that. But disciplines are dangerous. We've talked about this. Disciplines can be dangerous. Because what God doesn't want out of this passage and what God, uh, what Paul is not insinuating is that living sacrificially becomes familiar and becomes routine. That's not what he is implying here at all. But this is the danger of discipline. The danger of discipline is that uh, uh, what I once did out of intentionality, now I do accidentally. And what he's saying here is we need to be intentional with living sacrificial and creating a discipline of living sacrificial. But what happens with discipline is, you know, you, you, you start out, you know, January 1, New Year's resolution, I'm going to go to the gym. And maybe for those first few weeks, it takes a lot of intention to get to the gym. And you're having to push yourself and, oh, there's the alarm again. And I don't feel like it today. And, and uh, you know, uh, but, but then eventually, if you do it long enough, it becomes enough of a routine that maybe you begin to enjoy it. Or maybe at, at, at the very least, you do it because it's a habit. You do it because it's consistent. You do it because that's what we do. We go to the gym. We work out. And even in that sense, your body can become programmed to what you lift or to, to, you know, there's this thing called muscle memory. You know, and one of the things that I had to learn when I first started, you know, working out was, uh, you know, about every six weeks, you got to change it up because no longer is your body receiving the benefit of the discipline you have to go in, you got to shake it up a little. You got to do something a little different. Maybe add more weight or do less sets or add another routine or, or you know, find a different way to change up the routine because your body will just become programmed and you will no longer receive the benefit even though you're maintaining the discipline. And the danger here that, that Paul is bringing up, he goes straight from offering your body, presenting your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That means that's the expectation. The expectation of every believer. Can I tell you why, the, why a church service exists? Can I tell you why this event right here exists? Now, first off, I don't want us to confuse church and church service because the church is, the world works so hard to create gray area. Have you noticed this? Gray area. Now this past week, I just did a little test on myself and I found out that I'm an Enneagram type one. If anybody knows what that means, uh, uh, then you know where I'm going. It means that I'm a very black and white person. And, any, and all my leadership's like, yep, there it is. <laughs> Worship team's like, yep, there it is. There's no gray area in my life. I, I, have, I, I don't have gray area. There's no halfway. You're either all the way in or all the way out. That's just, that's just the way I'm built, my personality, my character. But, but the world has worked so hard. We have gray area with gender. 
Gray area with sexuality, gray area with alcohol, gray area with church, gray area with politics. There's no left and right because now you've got this one down the middle that's trying to blend everything together. We, we, we love to blend stuff, but God loves to keep things separate. God loves to keep the left on the one side and the right on the one side, and you gotta, find, you gotta pick and choose. Jesus drew lines in the sand. God drew lines in the sand, says, pick a side, choose you this day whom you will serve. Pretty simple. And so we, we want to blur things and we want to, 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 to blend things and we want to have a little bit of this, but, uh, you know, but you know, I want to say I'm this, but it's okay to dabble here. We try to get as close to the line, as close to the edge as possible without falling off. I just want to be as far away from the line as possible. You couldn't even accuse me of being in the wrong. Above reproach, I believe the Bible says. Amen. And so he's, 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 he's showing us there's a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is the expectation of the believer. The reason this church service exists is to strengthen your spirit to overcome your flesh. I know you thought it was about coming and worshiping God, and that's great. We'll do that. I know you thought it was coming about hanging out with other Christian believers and fellowshipping with like-minded believers. Yep, absolutely, that's great. Even coming and hearing the preaching of the word, dropping off your children in a children's ministry that's not just babysitting them and feeding them goldfish and playing veggie tales, but we're actually teaching them and imparting the word of God to them. Amen. There's, there's all kinds of of, of ways to accomplish it. But at the end of the day, what we want you to do when you walk in this place and when you walk back out, we want you to be different. That's, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. When I come in these doors on a Sunday morning, when I leave, I want to be different than when I came in. I want to know something different, do something different, feel something different, behave different. Respond different, think different. I need something changed. I need something critiqued. I need something, I, I, I've got to acknowledge where, I've, uh, where I miss it so that I can correct it and I can grow and I can develop. The ultimate goal of these church services, now I did not say the goal of the church. I said the ultimate purpose of the church service, this opportunity coming together. Everything, to, everything that we do points to one thing, helping you develop and strengthen and build up your spirit so you can overcome your flesh. And I don't know about you, but we've got a lot of flesh-led Christians that don't have strong enough spirits on the inside to overcome fleshly desires and fleshly lusts. And, and, and I'm not just talking about, you know, we, we say those words and we go to the extremes. I'm talking about everything in between. I'm talking about how we treat our brothers and sisters, how we talk about our coworkers, how we work and, and, and employ ourselves at our jobs, uh, 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 how we walk in love towards people. And now we're playing intramural sports. 
We just started church softball. You can identify every uh, softball player this morning by anyone that's limping or has some kind of hobble to them or is grabbing a hamstring. Yeah, we're all, you can find us all. You can pick us out, man. Oh, there he is. Well, I tell you what, the second day we drove down to St. Augustine, Florida, uh, the day after I played, I played Thursday night and I could hardly even get out of my car. Two and a half hours of sitting there I literally asked my wife, got out to get gas after sitting in the car for two and a half hours. I thought my hamstring was going to rip wide open. I I thought I was done. Excruciating pain. Just, are you kidding me? It's the worst. And I work out and run. And that's how I felt. It's those full bursts of speed down the first base line to... Oh man, eating us up. You can pick us all out. But now we're in intramural sports and I was, telling, I was joking with the guys Thursday night. I said, maybe I need to do a series on walking in love because uh, we're getting tested out here. Boy, we are getting tested up in here. Hold your tongue. I started to question not our ability to play softball, our ability to reflect Jesus. <laughs> I'm about to shut this thing down. Our walk is compromised. Our church say, anchor, faith, church, all. Oh, I mean, we made it as big as possible. We put ourselves out there. Our softballs say, anchor, faith, church. I mean, it's, we're there now. You, you, we better figure it out, guys. I can tell you right now, we better figure it out. But that's why we're here is to strengthen, build up our spirit, man, to overcome the flesh. Because, yeah, my flesh wants to respond sometimes. My my flesh wants to say some stuff. My flesh wants to do some things. My flesh wants to respond in like manner. And sometimes justifiably so, naturally speaking. But my goodness, if Jesus could stand before his accusers and didn't have one spot or wrinkle on his life and not say a single word, I can take it from some softball guys that think they got something on me because they spend 12 months out of the year playing softball, and I don't. I can hold my tongue. I could even pray for him after the game. Pray for them that I hope you know the Jesus I know. Because if you get in a wreck out there on Bemis Road leaving this thing, all you got is a softball win. There's a, there's a bigger purpose to these things. Bigger purpose. So we've got to strengthen and build up our spirits on the inside. This is how it reads in the New Living Translation. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Notice the urgency behind this with Paul. This isn't something to be taken lightly. He says, I'm urging you, pleading with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. There's the exchange. I give him my life because he gave me his life. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind 
he will find acceptable. And they knew what an unacceptable sacrifice looked like because that's over in Malachi chapter three. We usually pull it out when we talked about tithes and offerings and giving of finances, but it's not just talking about tithes and offering. You can cover it in any way. What happened was the, the religious leaders, the priests, they were giving leftovers to God. They were keeping the best stuff for themselves. Well, how many times do we do that? We give God... The, the leftover time that we have, but we've used our best efforts and our best time for ourselves to take care of our things. We might squeeze them in before we go to bed or, 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 or you know, maybe give them a little window of time before things get crazy in the mornings. Time is, is, is a great measure of value. And we all have the same amount of time and everyone on this planet that's ever lived on this planet has always had the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. Nobody's ever had more. We'll never be able to have the excuse, well, they had more time. No. They made the time. They chose what they did with their time. These are all ways that we can live sacrificially. They're all ways that we can be intentional about what we're giving up and what we're laying down and, 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 and how we are conforming to the image of Christ, conforming to the image of, of what God wants us to look like and how I can put down my flesh and I can take on, put on the new man, as Paul calls him. We all know that, you know, in an instant, in a moment, we're made new creations, new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Man, what a great verse. What a, what a great opportunity for every person on this planet that you could be rid of the old past, the old failures, the old struggles, the old man, the old carnal ways of living, the way the enemy wanted you to live. Thwarting the plan of God on your life. And now in an instant, you can be made a new creation, a new creature. But the problem is we've got new creatures on the inside that are being uh, uh, held down by the old flesh on the outside. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I crucify the flesh. I'm sacrificing my way, my plan, my ideas. Goes on to say there in the new living, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. If you wanna change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. But the point I wanna make today, and if you will, you can go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're gonna look at the life of a man named Saul, King Saul. The point I wanna to make today is, what do we do when sacrifice is no longer sacrifice? What do we do when our diligence is now our problem? What do we do when our consistency is now the battle we face? Because I don't know about you, God doesn't want anybody serving him accidentally. God doesn't want anything that we do in our lives for him and through him and by him to be done without purpose and intention and the, the effort behind it. 
Yesterday, uh, I had the honor of speaking, uh, being the commencement speaker to our Kingdom Institute graduating class. We've got two graduates right here in our own church and so proud of uh, Myrna Torres and Carrie Cobb for the effort and the diligence that they've given. Yes, yes. Amen. For the effort and the dedication that they've given over these last three years to grow uh, in their walk with the Lord, grow and answer the call uh, to attend. For those of you that don't know, we have a three-year Bible school program called Kingdom Institute. It happens on Sunday nights, uh, and it runs just like a school year, September to May. And so for the last three years, uh, they've been here in this facility uh, uh, with instructors uh, and, and just it's just such, such an incredible job. Our second graduating class uh, from this church that we've had. And um, I got to speak to them as well as the uh, other, I don't know, 14 students that graduated in St. Augustine. And um, I started out by saying that we want to honor and acknowledge achievement while encouraging development. We want to honor and acknowledge achievement, but we want to encourage development because we all know people that have allowed their achievements to override their development. What they've achieved in life is greater than the continual pursuit and the continual uh, uh, effort given to see development in our lives. And, And this is a risk that we all run. And for three years, they gave themselves to this uh, uh, answering, you know, the call of God to attend Kingdom Institute and go through that program to be diligent with that effort. But, you know, after a while, you know, maybe initially, maybe the first couple months is a little difficult, you know, being there on a Sunday afternoon for as long as they were and giving themselves to the classes and paying the costs that come along with that because it's not free. They pay financially towards that tuition and things. But, but eventually it becomes habitual. Eventually it becomes the expectation. You know to expect that much to go towards it every month. You know and expect that, you know, for the next nine months, my Sunday afternoons uh, are, are pretty much done. I know for, you know, this period of time, this is what I'm giving myself to. And now they're entering a new season. Just as all of our graduates are. It doesn't matter if you're graduating college or high school, you're, you're entering a new season. New seasons have new agendas. New seasons have new ways of laying things down. New new seasons means I can't do it the way I did it before. I mean, I'm sure she's not, but Myrna, if she were to show up here tonight at 4.30 ready for class, we're not here. Doors are locked. You can come here out of habit. You can come here out of diligence to perform the task, but God's looking for something more. God's looking for something Greater, And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see an individual, King Saul. I told y'all to turn there, but I didn't turn there. 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul. 
And he's given an instruction here in verse one. It says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the word, the Lord of hosts. So King Saul's been anointed king of Israel, but now he's having to respond to the voice of God, to the word of God, to obey what God is about to instruct him to do, Okay. Uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. We all see those words, right? And do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He wants them to utterly obliterate this enemy all the way down. Even the babies, even the babies. Because guess what? Baby Amalekites grow up into grown men Amalekites that learn how to fight and learn how to continue to be your enemy and continue to be a problem to you. So we're taking them all out. The whole nation of them. These are the instructions. But when we go down to uh, verse 7, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. Now, who determines if it's good? Because God determined that they were bad. So why are we calling something good that God has already called bad? And they were unwilling. Man, that word right there. Unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So he's gone through He's spared the king, Agag, which of all the people, that's the one you want to take out. Spared the king, Agag, then uh, decides, they go through all these animals and decide what they're going to keep for themselves, what they think is worth keeping and what is worth killing. Now, if God tells you to destroy something in your life, but you determine that it's good and worth, how many times do we do this with God? No, I, I, I can use that. I, I can use that. Uh, I, it's still good to me. I, I, can, I can enjoy that. Or even you think that somehow, some way, you can salvage it and use it for God. Because ultimately, that's what King Saul decides. If you go on to verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. And when Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel uh, saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself. A monument for who? For himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. It's a pretty bold statement. 
But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. He's blaming it on the people now. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Watch this, here it is. To sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. We saved it to sacrifice it. We kept alive what God instructed to kill or destroy because we think we're going to use it somehow to serve him. Sometimes we do this. We save things, salvage things, because we think we can use it in our effort to sacrifice to the Lord and to serve God. We do this. We, we, we hold on to friendships that he's told us to cut. But God, I can save them. God, I can, I, I can turn them to you. Oh man, I, I could be such a great influence. If, 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 I, if I'm not their friend anymore, then, then how are they ever gonna know Jesus? How, who's gonna talk to them about Jesus? Oh, so you're God. You're God. Like they, there's not a Holy Spirit. There's, there, there's not people that God can send along their path. That, 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 that now we're playing the role that is God's role. We salvage things and we save things and we hold on to things and we keep things that we think we're going to sacrifice. Now, sacrifice was the knee-jerk reaction. Sacrifice was, oh, duh, that's why we're keeping them. That's what we're doing because sacrifice to these people is consistent. Sacrifice is the expectation. These guys know how to sacrifice. They know how to build an altar. They know how to kill some animals. They know how to offer them up to the Lord, follow the instructions. But according to the word of God, the instruction wasn't to get what you can, sacrifice it to me. The instruction was to utterly destroy all of it. That was the simple instruction, pretty basic. Again, for a black and white guy like myself, pretty easy. There's no gray area here. Oh, I, I thought, no, there's no I thought. There's no I thought. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, the fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder sheep and oxen, the best of things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And this is what Samuel responds with. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, if you go back two more chapters in 1 Samuel 13, King Saul messed up back then as well, didn't respond to the voice of the Lord. So really, this wasn't so much as a, as a mission to destroy the Amalekites as much as it was to destroy King Saul's will. The real mission here was King Saul. The real mission here was God giving King Saul an opportunity to lay down his agenda and take up his. The real mission sometimes when God is calling you to give up something, to lay down something, to sacrifice something, isn't the thing that you're sacrificing, it's you. He wants to know, do I have you? Because although they were gonna offer a great sacrifice, the best of these animals and the best of, these, of this plunder. They were gonna give God the best of what they were able to uh, uh, salvage from this mission. That's not what God asked for. And sometimes we, we get this confused that we think that God wants our stuff more than he wants us. I mean, an easy one to attach this to is tithing and giving, finances, I'm tell you right now, God could care less about your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's walking on streets of gold. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. But the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What is God really after in this passage? To destroy the Amalekites? He could take care of that, no problem. I want to know if I have King Saul. I want to give him another opportunity as king of my people to respond to my voice and obey, not with an effort, not with his hands, but with his heart. And this is the thing, is sacrifice is not sacrifice until it's a laying down of your will. That's why, I, what, what do we do? When sacrifice is no longer sacrifice? What do we do when sacrifice becomes consistent? What do we do when sacrifice becomes a knee-jerk reaction? What do you do when you become so disciplined and so diligent to lay down or, or, or take on things that God is telling you to lay down or take on to, to cut off or add to? Maybe he's telling you to add to your prayer life another hour of prayer every day. Maybe that's his instruction. And maybe initially that might be hard for some of us to talk to God for one hour out of 24 hours. That might be a struggle. But, you know, you do that enough, you practice that enough, you get good at praying. You know you can get good at praying, right? You know, you can practice prayer just like you can practice anything else. We probably live in the most prayerless generation this world has ever seen. And I'm not talking about quantity. I'm talking about quality. And people, honestly, just we just don't know how to do it. It's just really the issue. A lot of believers haven't been instructed how to pray. We don't really know what prayer is. We don't really know uh, what, what, what the purpose is of prayer. And it's just like anything else. When, when, when it doesn't work for you or you don't know how to do it, you quit doing it. Right? That's just, that's how it works. But prayer has value. 
Prayer has importance. So let's say God gives us an instruction. And so initially, it, it's, it might be difficult. We're having to work that up. Man, it's a sacrifice. But at some point, you do it long enough. It's not, no, not necessarily going to be a sacrifice, a laying down. So what do we do when that diligence and that discipline shows up? You have to make sure you keep your heart in it. Because sacrifice is not what you give with your hands. It's what you give with your heart. That's what God's really after. Let me put it to you this way. If, if I do something for Kyle, let, let's say uh, uh, Kyle says, hey, can, can I borrow 40 bucks? I think I'd use you a lot in this type of scenario. You're always asking me for money. I don't know why, but you've never literally asked me for money. I don't know where this is coming from, but let's say Kyle's asking me for 40 bucks and I'm like, all right, Kyle, what, okay, here it is, man. There, there you go, just, just take it. Do you think he really wants it? You think he really cares? Do we really want people to do stuff for us if they don't have the heart behind it? Just the action alone of pulling $40 out of my pocket and giving it to Kyle is not what Kyle's looking for. He wants to know, do I have someone I can count on? Do I have a friend that's gonna help me out, bail me out if I'm having an issue or a struggle or a problem? I mean, think about it. If, 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 if we give God time, prayer, finance, coming to church, effort or anything with an attitude of, oh, gotta do that again. Oh, got to read my Bible. Okay, what, where's that Bible reading plan at? What, what's the verses for today? Let's just get this over with. Do you think he really wants it? You know what God is saying? He's saying, don't worry about it. You can keep it. And so that's what he's saying to King Saul. He's saying, sure, you, you gave me out of your hand, but you didn't give to me out of your heart. Because ultimately he didn't want King Saul's stuff. He wanted King Saul. He doesn't want your church attendance. He doesn't want your prayer time. He doesn't want your, your Bible time. He doesn't want your devotion time. He doesn't want those things. He wants you. And out of having you, those things become a byproduct. Because I love you and know you, I give financially. Because you're my provider. You're my Lord. You take care of my needs. You know the needs that I have even before I have a need. And so I'm not giving out of routine. I'm not giving, oh, it's Sunday, that's what we do, we write a check. And some of us, not even doing it with a bad attitude, but with no intention at all. Some of us have written checks and tithed the same way we always did, but we don't pray over it anymore. We don't bless it anymore. We don't ask God to, to increase it anymore. We don't pray that it'll go into the church and, and, and help the church increase and expand its efforts. We, 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 it's thoughtless, careless. I'll tell you right now, we have recurring giving available to you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You could go online, you can sign up for recurring giving and it can be deducted out of your account without you having to do anything. Sounds like a great idea, right? Wrong. It's not a good idea because now you're just giving finance. You're not giving faith. And God doesn't need your money. 
This isn't a practice of keeping the lights on and keeping the doors open and keeping the building running, the, the church operating. This is a practice of sowing and reaping. This is a practice of acknowledging that God is my supplier, God is my master, God is my Lord, and because of what he's given to me, it's my nature to give back to him. It's natural, but I have to be intentional. I, and if you have that, great. Just pray over it when it comes out of your account. That's all I'm asking you to do. If it comes out of your account every two weeks on that payday or whatever that looks like for you, then stop and be intentional and say, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to bless the house of God, to be an investor in the kingdom of God. I thank you because I have the seed to give because I am a sower and you supply seed to the sower. I thank you that you keep bread on our table. You keep a roof over our head. I thank you that you are my supplier and my master and without you, I would have nothing. Just take the opportunity to do that. The action alone, the effort alone is not what God's looking for. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. If I can show you someone that did it wrong, I can show you someone that did it right. Worship team, you can come. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. I don't know about you. I don't want to live sacrificially, accidentally. I want to live with intention. I want to live with purpose behind everything I do. I want to do it out of relationship, not out of obligation. I want to do it because I love him. He's my Lord. He's my savior. He's my God. He's my creator. And anything he asks of me, if he's asking for it, it means I have it. God will never ask you for something you don't have. He won't do it. If he's asking for it, you have it. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, Watch this. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. The action that I'm about to participate in, the, the laying down of my life, the, the beating and the torture and the torment, uh, the, the embarrassment, uh, all that I'm about to go through. If there's any other way for you to accomplish your purpose and your plan, let this cup pass from me. But he says this, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus wasn't just merely following through with actions that he was assigned to take on. Jesus wasn't merely just, okay, is this what you want, God? Here you go, I'll give you my life. I'll, I'll, I'll let them do all this stuff to me. I know I'm right, but you know, I'll let them say whatever they want and you know, I'll let them beat me up and, 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 and uh, you know, ultimately kill me. No, 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 he said, before I ever even make it to the cross, I'm laying down my life. He laid down his life in the garden. His life was not taken, it was given. They did not take his life. He said, no man 
takes my life, but I lay it down. But he laid down his life before they ever threw one punch. He laid down his life before they ever put one stripe on his back. He laid down his life before they ever drove one nail in his hand. He laid down his life before one drop of blood ever left his body. He laid down his life when he spoke to his father and he said, not my will, but yours. Guys, today, it's not merely our actions. It's not merely our efforts. Some of us have gotten good at sacrificing. Some of us, we are diligent. We are disciplined. And look, disciplines will provide some level of benefit. I mean, if I'm disciplined to be in the gym and I don't have to be super intentional, but I, I just go and do what I need to do, do my routine, it's providing a benefit. The task itself provides a benefit. But with God, He's looking for more than just task people. He's looking for more than just people that just get something done. He's looking for more than just people that will say, okay, I'll go to church today. Okay, I'll read my Bible. He's looking for people that will say, I'm sacrificing. I'm laying down. How can I be stretched a little further? How can I sacrifice a little deeper? How can I get down a little deeper? How can I go a little further, go a little higher? How how can I stretch beyond? I'm not satisfied with my level of sacrifice. I don't wanna become comfortable with discipline, but I wanna continue to stretch and grow and maintain, maintain the why behind the what. I want to maintain the purpose behind the effort. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.